Yes, this morning's reading is from Luke 24, beginning at verse 13, which is on page 1061 in the uh, church Bibles. Now that day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and say, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's still Resurrection Day. Did you notice? This morning, the women went. Did you pick that line up? Uh, So we're still on Resurrection Day. Uh, And this story that Malcolm's just read to us is 
a resurrection morning story. It's a resurrection day story. And uh, I hope you're still excited about the resurrection. Don't they call this Low Sunday or something? Uh, why? Whoever thought of calling anything, uh, my lovely vicar in Sheffield used to say, after Easter, always Easter. And he's dead right, isn't he? So why, why do we get low after Jesus has risen from the dead? We should be as high as kites, shouldn't we? That's exactly right. Yes, thank you, Mike. I knew you'd have a theological reason, mate. You always do. But there we go. This is, this is something that I, I worry about, that we, we kind of celebrate Easter and then vroom, down we go. And yet we should always be living in the light of that, that wonderful event called the resurrection of Jesus, which happened in reality. And, and it, things were never quite the same, were they? Post-resurrection. Nothing was quite the same. Before the Passion, Jesus walked into a room and he ate the food everybody else ate. He appeared to be human, which of course he was in every sense. His divinity for them was much harder to understand. The disciples struggled with it quite often. And they certainly struggled with the idea that this person who called himself the Son of Man would be crucified and on the third day rise again. It must have been way, way outside their comfort zone. Way beyond what they would normally be thinking. I mean, if I said that to you about another person, you'd say, oh, come on, no, give me a break. That cannot be true, surely. And so it is with somewhat fear, I think, that we come to this post-resurrection time uh, and we must begin to think and understand what this actually means for us. What does it mean, as George reminded us last week, to live with a risen Jesus? Does that make a scrap of difference to us? Or is it just another historical event that we've parked and say that happened, we know it happened, therefore let's move on? I don't think we can do that because after the resurrection, there were several appearances. You read them at the end of all the Gospels. And with one clear purpose in view, the man who was in the cross, on the cross, was taken down from the cross, was put in a grave, which was probably a cave with a stone rolled in front of it, as we, as we read. But he had come out of that alive. And, and that takes some doing, because I guess all of us at some stage in our lives have seen someone who's dead. I related to the 9.30, I remember going into my dear father who, who died, and, and I spoke to him. He didn't reply, because he died. And yet this Jesus, who had died, and all the evidence is there for us to see, was then someone who was seen alive. And so in any of our sort of beliefs about Jesus, we have to include bodily resurrection. There is nothing that can detract from that. And there are plenty of people over the years that have tried to debunk that. And, and we as Bible-believing Christians must say that it is very clear that the gospel writers want to convey to us that this Jesus who died was alive after that time. If we take the Bible seriously, that is what it's saying. Uh, read, read 1 Corinthians 15 when you get home. It's a wonderful argument of Paul's, isn't it? Um, which I, I kind of summarize like this. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, we're a bunch of idiots, basically. 
Uh, that's a very loose paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 15, but it'll do for the morning. It's simply saying this, this cannot be any sense to have a church, to have a ministry, to have anything if Jesus is not raised from the dead. And then Paul makes that great statement, but of course he is raised from the dead. And the whole emphasis of the early church in its ministry was this Jesus who once was dead is alive. That's what we're trying to convey to you. That's what we're getting excited about. We're not getting excited about an idea, an ideology. We're getting excited about a person who once was dead and is now alive. So bodily resurrection is so important. And in this little story of Emmaus, um, it's a difficult one because it's, we're not sure where it is. People have been drawing circles around Jerusalem seven miles wide and trying to find it for years. And nobody's actually sure where it actually is. They can't pinpoint it and say, that's Emmaus, like you can Nazareth or Bethlehem. You can't do it with Emmaus. But central to this is some huge ideas in this passage. There's, there's first of all, the promise of the Word. The Word of God is central to this whole argument that goes on on the road to Emmaus. Jesus is not a new story. He's the fulfillment of what is in the Old Testament. We are not looking here at plan B. We're looking at the fulfillment of plan A, the God who created the heavens and the earth. And now there is a Jesus who's come to fulfill and redeem the effects of the fall. So this is not something new. This is a, a fulfillment that God had planned anyway in the first place. Secondly, you've got the idea of Jesus as a prophet. They clearly acknowledge him, the two men, Cleopas and his friend, if they were indeed men. We don't know that for certain. Could have been a lady. Some people think it was his wife. Um, but we, that's speculation and not in the Scriptures. And certainly his role as Messiah. And yet despite teaching of these huge ideas, it is all done, this story, with a great deal of intimacy. There's a lovely sense here of, of a, a relationship, of, of something which was a walk in the way. That lovely phrase, the way, was, a, of course, a phrase that was used about Christians. They were people who walked in the way. Um, and, and so that's a phrase that comes up here. Uh, and so the passage starts with these two men, uh, or two a men, a man and a woman. It has to be one man, because Cleopas was. Um, and they are walking to a location that we know not where, but we know it was near Jerusalem. And they're heading off after a very difficult weekend. And you can imagine what they'd be talking about, couldn't you? All the things that had happened, the arrests, the trials, the flogging of Jesus, the crucifixion, the darkness in the middle of the day, the graves opening up, the temple curtain ripped. Boy, did they have things to talk about. And you can just imagine, you know, just as the conversation developed, yeah, what about that, though? What do you think that meant? What, what was that about? What, what, were we, what, what was going on? How are we supposed to respond to this? Uh, and it's almost as if their minds, the, the Bible gives us this sense that their, their minds were kind of turning these things over. Uh, and then this person, who they don't recognize, of course it's Jesus, but comes alongside them. And uh, they say to him, are you the only person who, what are you talking about, says Jesus? And they say, are you the only person who's not been in Jerusalem? Are, are you really that ignorant? Are you really not sure? And, and Jesus, um, lovely that he is, just says, oh, what things? Now this man, Jesus, is the central, plot, central character of the whole plot. Of course he knows 
what things have been going on. He was there. He was it. What things? And you know, I, it reminds me that sometimes Jesus says things to us. Of course he knows the answer. But he's just trying to draw things out of us. What things? So if I said to you, describe me the things of Jesus and the things that happened with the cross and the resurrection, of course you could tell me. But why am I doing that? Because I want to hear what you think and what you feel and what you understand about it. So he's trying to draw them out. What things, he says. And there's a certain drama about that, isn't there? He asks about their discussions and he's trying to draw out of them what actually is going on here. What things? Jesus opens up these two. And then they give him a description. Uh, they want to tell him. Because clearly, to them, central to their lives at this point, is the events of Jerusalem that weekend. Uh, and they go through the lot, don't they? Oh, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. A prophet, powerful in word and deed. God and all the people, the chief priests and the rulers. And on it goes. Out comes the whole story. Because this person who they believe to be perhaps an unbeliever or someone who doesn't understand, what they want to say to him is the story of Jesus. I wonder how often we get to a place where the one thing we should tell is the story of Jesus. Oh, we've got plenty of other things to talk about. But at this moment in time, what they want to relay to this person who they believe not to know, is that they will know the story of Jesus. It's clearly central to their lives. It's what the whole world is about at this moment for them. I'm drawn to say to you that in a, in a world that I live in, you live in, there's plenty of stuff going on, isn't there? Boy, is there plenty of stuff going on. Look at our own country. Look at what happened in Sri Lanka. Look at what happened in New Zealand. Those dear people of Christchurch. Place that I've been to. Where I look and I see flowers on the pavement in a place where we've walked on holiday. And where we walked after an earthquake and saw all the devastation. And the... I met two men, actually, on the street of Christchurch that time and... They were just standing there, and I, I don't know why. I just went up to them and said, hi, how are you doing? And they said, we want to tell you about Jesus. The first thing they said to me. And they were stood outside the containers, which were the shops of Christchurch at the time, because all the shops had been shut because they were unsafe. And, and there were these guys in front of all these container shops, which they'd made glass fronts of. And because we believe, they said, the one thing the people of Christchurch need to hear is about Jesus. And we had this lovely conversation with them and we prayed with them and, you know, and then this happened in recent days to Christchurch. And I bet if I met those guys today on that same place, on that same street, they'd be saying, what Christchurch needs is Jesus. Well, can I change the Christchurch? It's right here. What this church needs is Jesus. Most of you here know him well. But we long, I hope, to be drawn into what these men here on the road are being drawn into is, is a greater intimacy with that Jesus. 
as he comes alongside, as those men on the streets of Christchurch were with us when we talked to them. There's just that sense we want to know him better. Do you have that this morning? Do you long for that? Is, is Jesus a, a, a kind of distant figure who you honor? And, and yes, you probably try to obey. But if he came alongside you and walked with you, what would you do? I love the idea of a dear friend of mine in, in Australia. He usually sends me rude emails when England lose cricket matches to Australia. He's a lovely, lovely brother called David Cook. And uh, he, he um, always, when he meets you, always says, whatever time of the day it is, good day, Dave, good day, good day. And it, it always reminds me of this story. Of David always feels he wants to be intimate. He's your mate. He's your buddy. He's your friend. He wants to be with you. Good day, says Jesus to you today. Do you just long for that intimacy and that increase? You might call it going deeper as dear David did. I I don't care what you call it. I don't care how you phrase it. I don't care how you put it. But that longing for a, a deeper, deeper relationship with the living Lord Jesus. So we get to that place where he goes through um, a little rebuke, doesn't he, first of all? How foolish. Has Jesus ever said that to you? You've got all the evidence. You've heard it from the scriptures. Don't you get it? How foolish. I think it's a very gentle foolish. It's the kind of foolish that a teacher would say gently to a pupil, you know if you did that, it would be very foolish. It's a gentle foolish, but it's nonetheless a rebuke that if we read the scriptures, if we understand what God is saying to us, then we will get it. If we don't, we are foolish. We are not getting truth, which God wants to communicate to us. And and so what he goes on to say is how foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? And begin now. This is the point in verse 27 where, where I want to be there. I, I want a video recording here of, of Jesus doing a complete Bible overview because that's what he does, isn't it? He goes right through it. Moses, from then on, he says all these things, he gives them a complete, absolutely rundown of everything that God wants to say to them at this point, and he just explains the scriptures. Now, I cannot pass by that moment without saying to you, I cannot tell you how much God wants you to do just that. That the intimacy with this relationship on the way, where they stopped and, and discussed these things together on the, on the road, central to it is the idea that Jesus says, for goodness sake, read my word. Because that's where truth is. Truth is contained in that book that many of you have got in your hand right now. The Scriptures. He says that clearly. And so the Scriptures reveal who Jesus is. And it reveals all that he he wants to say to us. And it comes through his word by the power of his anointing spirit. And those two things together, one without the other, the word without the spirit is dry, the spirit without the word is fluffy. Fluffy. 
put them together, it's lethal. We need word and spirit that God will speak as he spoke on that day to those men or men and women, whatever it may be. And so we get to the place where as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus said, okay, I've explained it to you. I've given you the reasons. I've called you foolish because you haven't understood. But now you know I must go on. Oh, could you just come and eat with us? Could you? And Jesus is invited into their place to eat and to have fellowship with him. What an invitation. And when he was at table, this would be so natural, it would be an act of hospitality, so common in that culture. Uh, Perhaps less prevalent in our culture, sadly, but very much in their culture, it would be a very normal thing to do. And when he was at table, he broke bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. Now, you cannot any way degrade the drama of that moment. You must not. As he broke bread, as I sometimes do when I'm leading a communion service, there's a, there's a drama in it, isn't there? Uh, you break the bread, not because you're special and brilliant, but because the bread symbolizes what Jesus has been through, the blood poured out. But this, my friends, was Jesus doing it himself before their very eyes. And I don't know how far their jaws dropped, but I bet it was a fair old distance. Wow. It's him. It's him. And just, just, just pause and... You may not get that moment every time you have communion, but in one sense, we, we should be saying, you know, at this moment, I am remembering the fact that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary, went to the cross and died to take away my sin. And his life was poured out that I could have life in all its fullness. And these people are experiencing the intimacy of that, of that moment when Jesus did that for us and for them. And there was this moment which I guess they never forgot for the rest of their lives, would they? And their eyes were opened. And he goes. He vanishes. And they've seen the Lord. They have seen Jesus completely and finally who he is and what he came to do. And Jesus has told them, what you've witnessed in Jerusalem effectively is about me. It's about what I came to do. None of this Roman nonsense of messiahship kick the Romans out, everything will be great. None of that. That's not what I came to do. Read Isaiah, friends. Go and find a suffering servant Messiah. You'll see him all over Isaiah and many other places in the Old Testament. Have you not read this? Have we got that right, Jesus? I, I mentioned to the 930 congregation that I was once going to give a talk to some young people about Jesus. 
Um, my dear friend Gavin McGrath, who was curate with me when I was there as youth leader, he, he said to me, he said, Dave, you're going to give a talk about Jesus tonight. He said, which Jesus? Which Jesus? See, we must portray Jesus as Jesus portrays himself here. The one who was born of the virgin the one who was crucified on the cross to deal with sin, the one who rose again from the dead, the one who dwells with his Father now in eternity and waits for us wherever we are and comes alongside us in our need, whatever that need is at the moment, whatever you're facing at the moment, whatever issue is in your life at the moment, whatever problems you face, health issues, money issues, family issues, whatever, Jesus wants to have intimacy with you about them and speak to you and help you and guide you and love you through them. Because that's the real Jesus. And if for you it's become a distance thing, if it's become a sort of person that exists, and yes, you would name the name of Jesus if you were pushed. Oh, my friends, Jesus wants so much more than that with you. He wants a deep, lasting, developing, growing, intimate relationship. You heard Ray just earlier, didn't you, talk about the way God has led that. I've known Mike, Mike I've known him for some time now, and you hear him talk about, you, you get Ray talking about some of the stories when he's been on these search and rescue operations that he's been in. And you'll hear him talk about how God helped him do this, 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 and this. Now, whatever your life is like, wherever you're going with life, then please understand that this is what Jesus wants for you. And notice the effect of it. Jesus has gone. So, well, let's just finish the meal off, boys. Let's just have the, the, the right food now. We've done the breaking of bread bit, so let's, let's do the... F they, they leg it back to Jerusalem. Another seven miles, because they want to talk about it. They don't want to just sit in their hands and say, isn't it nice that Jesus rose from the dead? Isn't it nice that he came to suffer? Wasn't it jolly? They leg it back to Jerusalem and say, we've seen him. We've, we've known this happened. We know this happened. We know that happened. We know Simon Peter's seen him. We know that Jesus is real. We know that Jesus is alive. You see, if we're evangelicals, which I think we are, we must be evangelists. You can't have one without the other. You can't call yourself an evangelical if you're not an evangelist. Because Jesus says, I want you to go and share. I want you to go back to the place. And uh, why? And I finish with this. It's because as, as the, that happened with them, did not our hearts burn within us? Now that's a very, very powerful phrase in the original language. It, it's the kind of thing that you've, you've experienced maybe on a few occasions in your life where, where you think, wow, I'm here and this is happening. 
I've been in situations like that, I guess you have too, where you think, man alive, what am I doing here? And here I am, experiencing it. I'll just share one with you. Um, it's, a, it's New Zealand again. And as, as we drove up towards Mount Cook, it's called, isn't it? That's right, the big one. Now, normally people say Mount Cook comes out about 100 days a year. The other three, 265, it's in cloud. And we were driving along this road, and there was the, there was the cloud. You know, Mount Cook is in there somewhere. But I would take some convincing that it was, because it was all grot and horrible. And as Heather and I drove along this road by a lake, as I remember it, and there it was, this glorious snow-covered mountain. And I can remember saying, thank you, Lord, for just allowing me to see such incredible majesty and beauty. I can remember now the tingle effect of it, just sort of thinking, wow, I've been given the privilege of seeing this. Now, that's rubbish compared to what these guys felt that day. Did not our hearts burn within us? I pray for you that maybe not every day you have a burning experience, but there will be in your life those moments of intimacy with Jesus where you sense, wow, it's been good to be here. We have met with the Lord we have heard the scriptures opened. We've realized our foolishness. And we've said, okay, from now on, I want to develop that intimacy, that closeness, that understanding of Jesus. And wherever you're at this morning, I pray that that will be your experience, that you may truly know that Jesus is here by his spirit and wants to bless you. Should we pray? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you are a revealing God. You're a God who wants us to know you. You're not a God who hides and keeps your presence rather mystic and weird. But you're a God who wants to say, I am here. I am your Savior. I am your Lord. I want you to know me. And so I pray for each of us this morning that as we journey through life at the moment, that we will be profoundly aware of that Jesus walking with us in the way. Wherever that may be, whatever that may lead us to, whatever that holds for us in the future, in the near future, the long future, that we may truly sense the presence of the Jesus who one day broke bread and poured out wine and said to us, your sins are forgiven. Now walk you in the way. May it be true for his namesake. Amen.